Okay, so those of you that are in the covenant theology class, I realize that I owe you a class, right? So we've got to resolve that whole Mosaic covenant, don't we? So I'm going to figure out a way in which to do that. Uh, while, you, while you were wondering where that class was, I, you might have been thinking about me, but I was not thinking about you. Uh, I was down in Kalahari in Georgetown enjoying a fantastic water slide with my son and my wife and his friend and having a blast while y'all were wondering what was happening with that class. So I owe you a class. We'll figure it out. Uh, it'll come out on an email. Maybe we could do it on a Wednesday night after the new member class, uh, but we'll get it done. All right, so let's, let's open this way. Why, why, why are the 1980s so popular? Can someone tell me that? Why? I mean, was it the big hair? <laughs> was it the, the shoulder pads? Or how about the Air Jordans or the member-only jackets? Do you remember those things? Those of you that remember? How about those jelly shoes? How about that? Remember those things? The leg warmers. And my, my all-time favorite, though, was the shoes with no socks. Right? Those were just so cool. I don't know how anybody did that because those shoes needed to be thrown out by the end of the week without a doubt. They smelled like crazy. All right, how about, was it the classic rock? Was it the new wave? It was the beginning of rap music. That's maybe why. Maybe it was punk rock or funk. Michael Jackson, Prince. Uh, maybe it was the Walkman. Remember that? The Rubik's Cube. Or how about Polly Pockets and Transformers? Hacky Sack, Cush Balls. Cabbage Patch Dolls. Atari. Galaga. Or Galaga. Whatever that name is. Tetris, Pac-Man, right? How about MTV, Miami Vice, Dynasty, Dallas, Greece? I guess you can't say that anymore, though. Uh, Oprah, Happy Days, MacGyver. <laughs> Yuppies, Young Urban Professionals. Personally, I think the 1980s were so popular and still remain so popular because that's when we all found out that Darth Vader was Luke's father. Luke, I'm your father, right? But the 1980s actually began, literally, in 1980 with an iconic movie called The Blues Brothers. Do y'all remember that one? John Belushi, you know, played Jake Blues and then his brother Elwood Blues by Dan Aykroyd. Uh, they, they were getting the band, the old band together, right? And you got to ask yourself, well, why did they want to get the old band together? What was the reason for getting the old band together? And the answer is, they were on a mission from God, of course. They were on a mission from God. So here's the question of our text this morning. How do you know? How do you know you're on a mission from God? How do you know you're not on just another manic mission? How do you actually know I'm on a mission from God? And I have God's not only blessing, but I'm participating in what God is doing in the world. How do you know that? Is there some way in which we could find the answer to that? 
All right, you uh, may stand for the reading of this text. We're going to interact with this text, so it might be just a little longer, so you can sit down if you need to sit down. But here we go. We're going to start in Genesis 12, 3, and this is a very important verse where God says, I will bless those who bless you. He's talking to Abraham, and he's eventually talking to Isaac, and he's eventually talking to Jacob, and he's eventually talking to the 12 sons of Jacob, and then he's eventually talking to everyone who reads the Bible, and then he's eventually talking to you and me. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now we get into our text. So this is the last remaining chapters of Genesis for us. Uh, Pharaoh says to his brothers, all right, so Joseph has brought now his brothers. The reunion has happened. The climax of the book has happened. These are the throwaway chapters. I thought we were done with this. But we've had two sermons that we got out of these throwaway chapters. This is the last one. So now Joseph's brothers are now being introduced to Pharaoh. Because remember, Joseph is little Pharaoh. He is literally probably the most powerful man in the world right now. Not even the Pharaoh is. All right. So Pharaoh said to his brothers, what's your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers are. Now this was Joseph's plan all along. Joseph told his brothers to say that. In fact, just before, here's what he said. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You're going to say your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, because Goshen was the best land in Egypt. So that's where the cattle were, right? And he says this, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So here's a little timeout. I know you didn't want it, but I'm going to give it to you. The Egyptians hated shepherds. The Egyptians hated cowboys. The Egyptians saw them as falling short of Egyptian righteousness and Egyptian acceptability. Uh, They were seen as inferior. They were seen as less than. Uh, They were despised. They were thought differently, treated differently. Uh, Today, we'd say, those Egyptians were a bunch of racists. And this is important today, right? The reason why I'm bringing it up is incredibly important because the Bible is going to give us a definition of racism, not the culture, right now in this text. What is racism? Just right now, according to this text, what is it? Here's the answer according to the Bible. Enmity. Enmity, not ethnicity. It's seeing people and treating people as an abomination. It's not loving people. It's what Jesus would say. It's, it's, this, it's murdering people, but it starts with a hatred in the heart, right? If Paul was here, he'd say it's, it's self-righteousness. It's this... Work salvation. You think that your race gives you an identity. You think your race saves you, so you elevate it above others. And if others don't share your race, they're a part of abomination. They're a part of rejection. They're a part of condemnation. This is incredibly important today. Incredibly important because racism is not ethnicity. It's enmity, according to the Bible. Ethnicity is things like You're a racist because you're white. 
You're racist because you're black. You're racist because you're from this country. You're racist for being a cop. Racism is not ethnicity. Racism, according to the Bible, is enmity. Hatred toward God and fellow neighbors. If you actually make racism ethnicity, you've actually turned it into a racist thing. You've now looked at another people or group and have enmity towards them. I know you don't like my timeouts. I like my timeouts. So here's a timeout. Let's get back to the text. So they said to Pharaoh, okay, look, we've come to sojourn in the land, for there's no pasture for your servants' flocks. For the famine is severe in the land of Canaan, and now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen, the best land in Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Well, who are going to be those able men? The Israelites. So Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. 4714. Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they had bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Okay. Verse 20. So Joseph brought all the land of Egypt, bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Now I'm 49. Then Jacob called his son. So now we transition. This is how Joseph is treating the Israelites. Now we're coming to the end of the book, and Jacob's going to die. And now he's going to bless his sons. So here we go. So Joseph, no, Jacob called all his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. And we're going to jump to what he says to Judah, verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter, Judah, shall not depart from you, nor the ruler's staff from between your feet until tribute comes to you. To you shall all the obedience of the peoples be. Binding his foal to the vine, his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments. The literal translation, he's washed his robe. In one, There's another robe. We had Joseph's robe of many colors. This is also a robe of one color. And wine on his vesture, his robe in the blood of grapes. Now I'm, I'm putting Exodus in here because it's going to fit with the story. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel, too many and too mighty for us. So let's enslave them. This is the word of the Lord. All right, y'all, please be seated. Lord, we thank you that your word is life, your word is living, and right now it's living and active amongst us. And so, Lord, would you speak us back to life again? We ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, so here's the deal. Everyone is a Blues Brothers today. 
All of us in this room are a blues brother. Uh, We're all on a mission from God, right? Everyone's on a mission from God today. Our whole culture is on a mission from God. We got politicians on a mission from God. We got big business media on a mission from God. We got big tech on a mission from God. We got universities and colleges on a mission from God. We got every level of education and teachers and educational curriculum on a mission from God, pre K to high school. We've got entertainment platforms on a mission from God. Netflix is on a mission from God. Prime Video is on a mission from God. Disney's on a mission from God. Church leaders and churches are on a mission from God. Self-appointed cultural leaders are on a mission from God. So the question is, for all of us, for you and me, for me, for Redeemer, for all of us here, how do you know you're on a mission from God? How do you know you're not on a manic mission? These throwaway, these last throwaway chapters of Joseph has some answers for us. So we're going to look at them. Let's start here. What I'm about to say is not going to be popular at all. Not at all. Um, Joseph is on a manic mission. I told you it wasn't going to be popular. In fact, most Bible teachers ignore Joseph's actions in chapter 37. I mean, you'll go through commentaries, and it's just a blow-through. You listen to lectures and teachings on chapter 37, everybody blows right by it. If a Bible teacher does, some Bible teachers actually justify Joseph's actions in chapter 37. Why? Because they get confused about the two lost sons that Jesus talks about. Jesus tells the story right at the beginning of his ministry about the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, and he does it in this epic, cosmic, paradigmatic story of all of us. Here's the story of the human race, and he talks about two lost sons. He talks about a good son, and he talks about a bad son. And what what Bible teachers do is they get to chapter 37 and actually confuse that story, and they start talking about the good sons. Of course the good sons, the church people, the religious people, the good people, of course that's going to happen for them. And then you have the irreligious, you have the unbelieving, you have the, the law-breaking people. They're the bad people in this story. And so what we have when most Bible teachers get to this, they go, the Egyptians are the irreligious and the unbelieving. <laughs> the Israelites are the believing and the good people. The funny thing is, though, Jesus says both of them are lost sons. The good son is lost. The bad son is lost. They're both trying to save themselves. They both are alienated from the Father. So it's a strange thing how some interpretations of chapter 37 go. So what I'm saying is not very popular. Joseph is on a manic mission. So what's happening in chapter 37? Let's get that down right now. What's happening is this, is that the world is in a seven-year famine. Everyone is starving to death. We've had a one-year global pandemic. Imagine a seven-year global pandemic when all global food supplies are gone. 
I mean, we just had a winter storm, and there was nothing in Walmart and HEB. Now imagine if that went on for seven years. Now you're in the world of Egypt. So, uh, what does Joseph do? He's the leader. God gave him the vision, the dream, to save the world, to, pre- to prevent this from happening, to protect everybody. What he does is stunning. What he does is shocking. What he done is like so uncharacteristic to this point. Remember, he had seven years to prepare, so he stored up tons of food. So what does he do? He gives this food to his family, but he sells this food to the Egyptians. Well, what's the result of that? The result of that is the Egyptians now are not just starving, they're now poor. Because they have to sell everything to buy food. But not the family of Joseph. They're not starving. They're not poor. Then what happens? I mean, this is stunning. I'm just going to read it for you. So Joseph... I'm going to get it in the literal Hebrew. You ready? So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. All the Egyptians sold their fields. In other words, they became poor. They lost all their property, all their valuables, everything that mattered in an earthly sense because the famine was severe on them. In other words, they were starving. The land became Pharaoh's, so it's not their land anymore. So what what is there left to do? What do you do when you're starving and you're impoverished? You only have one thing left. Sell yourself. And that's what happened. As for the people, he made servants of them. Literally, the Hebrew said he made slaves of them from one end of Egypt to the other. So what's left? Slavery. Genesis scholar... Two of them, Gage, this guy named Gage and Barber, describe what Joseph is doing this way. Joseph is centralizing authority. In other words, he's centralizing power with Pharaoh. In other words, he's centralizing all authority, all power with the state. Who owns all the money, all the livestock, all the land, and now all the people? Joseph increased the urbanization of Egypt. He centralized all the wealth in the cities. He created a situation where a later Pharaoh, with no regard for the Israelites, now has the ability to enslave them. So let's just summarize chapter 37, the overlooked throwaway chapter. Starvation, poverty, slavery for the Egyptians, food, wealth, freedom for the Israelites. Joseph is on a manic mission. Not on a mission from God. So how do we know this, though? Right? That's what you're asking. But Jeff, how do you know this? How this wasn't? How do you know this wasn't about the good people and the bad people? The religious and the irreligious, the believing and the unbelieving, which most of our stories are told. How do you know your mission is not a manic mission? Think about your mission. How do you know the tweet you just sent out wasn't a manic mission? (laughs) How do you know your political ideology isn't a manic mission? How do you know that your activism isn't a manic mission? 
How do you know that your cultural cause isn't a manic mission? How do you know that your doctrine and your beliefs and your, your rhetoric and your language and your actions and your behavior isn't a manic mission? How do you know your church isn't on a manic mission? Well, God gives the answer 24 chapters earlier, and it was the first verse we read. He gave it to Abraham, he gave it to Isaac, he gave it to Jacob, he gave it to Jacob's 12 sons, which means he gave it to Joseph, and he gives it to everyone who reads the Bible, and he gives it to you and me right now. God says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God says, in my people, all the families, all the families, all the families of the earth without distinction shall be blessed. In my church, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What's the mission from God? It's to bless. It's to bless. It's to bless people back to life again. Who? Every. Every culture, every race, every skin color, every demographic, every shallow way that we categorize people today. It's to bless people with a cosmic blessing. And this is so important because there are good things and then there is a cosmic blessing. And only the cosmic blessing blesses people back to life again. Other things are good things, great things. Good things are part of a good world. But then there's this ultimate blessing. There's this epic cosmic blessing. And this blessing blesses people back to life again. So this is where manic missions fail because they only bless some, right? They only bless some of the families of the earth. A manic mission only blesses some. They only bless important people. They only bless deserving people. But here's the key. Deserving people according to your standards and my standards. So you and I could see something like, well, these people, the poor people need to be blessed. And now we're into the some families of the earth. Manic missions ultimately say, my people shall be blessed. Whatever that means. My race, my gender, my sexual orientation, my political camp, my cultural cause, my family, my friends, my church, my community, my city, my nation. Only some of the families of the earth get blessed. That's the mark of a manic mission. Manic missions also fail at the blessing level. They look to good blessings to provide or give what only the cosmic blessing can provide or give. This is important because, again, a cosmic blessing can only speak, can only bless people back to life again. A good blessing is a good thing, but it can't, it can't bless you back to life again. What are some good blessings? Well, some good blessings would be like ending sin. 
Ending a particular sin or ending a particular evil, like ending abortion or ending racism or or ending a sexual sin or ending human trafficking. These are good things. These are wonderful things. But they're not the cosmic blessing. They can't bless people back to life again. And sometimes these good things get confused with the cosmic blessing. And a manic mission does that. A manic mission confuses a good thing for the cosmic thing. It looks to a good thing to be the cosmic blessing. And then we're always disappointed in our our attempts to bring in life with this good thing. It just doesn't deliver. It just lets us down, and then we move on to another one. And if you look at the history of the church and you look at cultural Movements, that's exactly what happens. Today's movement was yesterday's movement 100 years ago. And it just, they just kind of recycle over and over again because each generation thinks this is, this is it. This is the cosmic blessing. This will heal the world. This will heal people. This will bring in salvation for all of us. What are some other good blessings? There are good blessings or good things, loving things, just things like caring for at-risk moms and babies, like the poor and the outcast, caring for the poor, the marginalized, the rejected, the forgotten. Good things, just things, loving things, like righting injustices, righting wrongs. But these are not the cosmic thing. And they get confused for the cosmic thing, and a manic mission does that. It confuses good things, loving things, just things for the cosmic blessing. The only thing that can bless you back to life again. Let's look at it another way. Let's look at it this way. Colin and I have been having discussions on this. We're doing a podcast on it. So some of these things are, are fresh in some of the things that we said on the podcast. If someone walks away from Redeemer, if someone walks away from this church, saying, man, this church really cares about the poor. The mission of Redeemer is the poor. Redeemer exists to care for the poor. The oxygen of Redeemer is the poor. The blood of Redeemer is caring for the poor. It's their blessing in Waco. And Redeemer is a Blues Brother church. And Redeemer's on a manic mission. Maybe this will help. Um, what if I came up and said, hey, we're going to change Redeemer's mission statement? Uh, it's no longer what it is. Even, I'm not going to tell you what it is right now. It's no longer that. Um, and I run it through the, the session, the team of leaders. I make it happen because, you know, we're authoritarian. Um, And when I come and I say to you, I say this. I said, you know, our mission now is to end the sin of lying. You go, you're crazy. That's not the mission of the church. Do you see what's happening today? Good things are not the cosmic blessing. And the church 
is about one thing, not two things, not three things, not ten things. The church is about one sun by which everything else orbits around that one sun. One mission. It's about the cosmic blessing. Because only the cosmic blessing will bless all the families of the earth back to life again. Bless all the shallow ways that we categorize people back to life again. So what should a church do when their mission becomes a good thing rather than the cosmic thing? What should a church do? Let's say a church wakes up and realizes, oh my word, we've been about the the good things. Good things. Really good things. Just things. Loving things. But not about the cosmic thing. We replaced it. What should a church do? Option, you got two options. Church has two options. Option number one, repent. Return to your first love. That's what that means in Revelation, by the way. Return to your first love. Return to the cosmic blessing. Return to the true mission from God. Option number two is become a ministry organization. Do the good thing. Give yourself to the good thing. Be an organization. Serve the community with this good thing. And help the church serve the community in that good thing. But don't be the church. Because the church is about one thing and all the other good things orbit around it. So what is the cosmic blessing? That's the question, right? I mean, what is it? All right, so if the cosmic blessing is the marker that you're on a mission from God, a true mission from God, and you're not on a manic mission, what is this cosmic blessing that blesses people back to life again? That in you, church, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What is this? Well, it's found in Jacob's blessing. That's why we read it. Isn't it so fascinating that the book of Genesis begins with the loss of the cosmic blessing. And then the book of Genesis starts, starts documenting the lives of people in a struggle for blessing. I mean, remember when we looked at Jacob? He literally wrestles his whole life for a blessing, and he finally gets it at the end. And now the book of Genesis, after documenting peoples and groups and nations struggling for blessing, Struggling for whatever the cosmic blessing is. Struggling and struggling and struggling. And now the book of Genesis ends with the cosmic blessing. Jacob is going to bless his sons. And so right here, right now, Genesis finally ends with the cosmic blessing. And so maybe for you right now, It's time to end your struggle for blessing. Maybe your struggle ends today. Right here, right now. With the cosmic blessing. Genesis 49, Jacob calls his sons together. He says, all right, y'all, gather yourselves together. I'm going to tell you what's about to happen in the days to come. 
The days to come are the final days. Anytime that's used in the Old Testament, it is the last days, which means it's the ultimate days. It's, it's the day when ultimate reality breaks into this world, whatever that reality is. It's an invasion of a cosmic blessing. That's what the Old Testament says. So even Jacob, while he's saying this, is not saying, hey, guys, when you're 50, 60, 70, 80 years old, here's what's going to happen to you. He's, he's going on a whole other realm right now. And 99.9% of Bible scholars, Old Testament scholars, say this. So I'm not the only one saying this. So he is going far beyond just the immediate history of his sons. Okay? Here we go. He says, assemble and listen, O sons. Listen to Israel, your father. And so he blesses his sons. And there's a lot of historical blessing in there for his sons. Except something strange happens when he gets to Judah. Something incredibly strange happens moves into his blessing to Judah. Judah, 48. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. This is incredibly strange. Because all of a sudden, there is now, there is now a new, greater Joseph being bowed down to. Remember, the whole story of Joseph begins with his crazy dream and him telling his son, telling his brothers, hey man, Y'all are going to bow down to me. What? Yeah, that, that sent in motion a whole chain of events. And now here at Judah, something greater replaces Joseph as the one that everybody bows down to. A greater bowing is happening. A greater Joseph is present. And just like we saw with Joseph, remember when we went through Joseph, it just would said, and they fell on their face. The brothers, remember, it wasn't like they're thinking, okay, we need to bow because he's Pharaoh's right-hand man. It just said over and over again, the text kept saying, they fell on their face. They fell on their face. They bowed. They bowed. They bowed. Here's a greater bowing. A greater Joseph. Judah, a lion's cub, from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and a lioness. Who dares round him? Something strange is happening. There's a lion. There's a king of the jungle <laughs> killing its prey. Killing all predators in the jungle. Every enemy in the jungle is just slaughtered by the king of the jungle. That's why there's this phrase, who dares to rouse him? He's the king in the jungle. He's the king in the dark places. He's the king with all hostile powers arrayed against you. He's the Lord of them. He's the king of the jungle. He's the lion. The scepter, Judah, shall not depart from you, nor the ruler's staff from between your feet until tribute comes to you, and in you the obedience of all the peoples. All the peoples. All the families of the earth. All people without distinction. And then it talks about this garment that he has that is picked up in the New Testament. All of this is picked up. And what's happening is so strange here because what you're getting here is this incredibly victorious king. Yes, this incredibly victorious king has blood splattered on his robe because he's decimating all the enemies. He's decimating all the predators, picking up on the lion. But he also has blood on his robe because it's his blood. He's not only victorious over the predators, sin, death, 
And yes, specific sins like racism and abortion and all the other good missions that are out there today. But also, do you see what's happening? Everyone is coming to him for blessing, for tribute. In other words, in him is all peace and all abundance. In him is all blessing. In him is all paradise. In him, all the holes in you and all the holes in the world are filled. In him, all blessings flow. Because he's the cosmic blessing. He's the cosmic blessing. Him whom all blessings flow. What is the cosmic blessing? It's him. It's the stranger one. John, if he's here, he'd say, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. We could say he's the cosmic blessing. We could say he's the mission from God. And so what are we supposed to do? End your struggle for blessing at him. Bow before him. And receive him whom all blessings flow. The one that wipes out all the predators in your life including yourself, because you self-sabotage yourself more than anybody else. The one in whom all tribute and all blessing flows from, all peace and all paradise, all wholeness and all rest, all salvation and all forgiveness, all righteousness and all glory, all winning, it's in him. See, even Pharaoh knew this. This is what's unbelievable. In Genesis, this is how it ends. It's incredible. Joseph brings Jacob, uh, Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, to stand before Pharaoh. And this is so incredible because you're now standing before the most powerful man in the world, Jacob, you know, this, this small man who needs Pharaoh, who's come here for food and for shelter, uh, comes before Pharaoh, and yet Pharaoh does the most unbelievable thing possible. No, you bless me. And Jacob, blesses Pharaoh because all the families of the earth will bow down to him. The cosmic blessing is him whom all blessings flow. The cosmic blessing is him. The mission from God is him. If your mission isn't him, you need to turn into a ministry organization and do those good things. But the mission of the church is only and always Him. Amen.